the readings from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. And you can find it on page 1161. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your, as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And if you're comfortable to do so, please do stand as Quintin brings our gospel reading. The gospel reading is taken from Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up up, up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the clouds. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Lord, be the light in our darkness. May we encounter you this morning. And may yours be the voice that we hear. Amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Those are the opening three verses of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It's a good opening, isn't it? It's one of my favourite passages in the Bible. It's one I always come back to. And I'm sure it's not only because, and I don't know if some of you might have done the same as me, every now and then I sit down and say to myself, right, I'm going to read the Bible. The whole Bible, from start to finish. And then, well... I always get at least as far as Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. But it's almost as if God knows that we have short attention spans, because in a way, these verses tell you everything you need to know about God. God said, 
Let there be light. And there was light. Bam. Just like that. Have you ever been in a pitch black room and turned on a light switch? I don't mean a dark room. I mean a pitch black room. Changes everything in an instant, doesn't it? And if you've ever been scared of the dark, you'll know what a difference it makes when you reach for the light switch. All of a sudden, the room is filled with light, and all your fears are banished in an instant. There's a wonderful short play called Black Comedy, which begins with the audience in total darkness. You can hear the characters talking and moving on stage, but you can't see anything. Then there comes a point when the characters supposedly experience a power cut. So for them, the lights go out, and they're plunged into darkness. But for the audience, it's at that point that the lights come up. Suddenly, the audience can see the bright, garish set and the characters that until now they've only been able to hear and they've been perhaps trying to picture in their minds. And the audience can see as the characters on stage are trying to grope around in the darkness like this. And it's quite funny because I think we can all relate to that trying to find our way in a darkened room. I don't know if you've ever done that when you've tried, got up in the night and you've not wanted to put the light on, but you're trying to find your way around the room. It's not easy. Speaking of lights, by the way, have you ever thought about those lights up there? Normally, when you come to church, I'm sure your attention is fully focused on what's happening at the front. But if you have what I think I'm going to call a creative mind, or an inquiring mind, perhaps that's better, then even during the most interesting sermon, you may occasionally find yourself looking up and wondering and thinking, I wonder what happens when one of those light bulbs needs changing. You'd need a long ladder to get up there, wouldn't you? Well, some of you will know this. Presumably, there's likely to be at least someone here who's uh, had to do it. But for those of you who don't know, we don't have a big ladder that we set up underneath those lights. As I understand it, there's a ladder at the back there uh, which leads up to a crawl space along the ceiling. And then you crawl along there, above the ceiling, and the lights are actually pulled up through a hole in the ceiling to be replaced. I'd been coming here for years before I heard that. I thought I knew this building pretty well. But when I heard that for the first time, I suddenly saw this place in a whole new light, if you'll pardon the pun. That's a very small example, but sometimes in life we do experience those revelatory moments when we discover that there's far more to something than we first thought. Like when you first look at something under the microscope, and what appeared to be nothing more than a boring speck on a glass slide is revealed to be something far more interesting and complex than you ever imagined. Peter, James and John had a moment like that in our Gospel reading today. Jesus takes them up a high mountain, and they see Jesus transformed, glowing bright white. And Moses and Elijah are there, talking to Jesus. Hopefully that struck you as strange. If it didn't, uh, bear in mind that it was many hundreds of years earlier that Moses and Elijah were around doing what they did. Um, So it's quite unlikely, that, uh, or quite uh, strange, that they would have bumped into him on this mountain. Now, it's easy to be slightly sceptical here. Most of us have never had an experience like that. As far as we can tell, most people in Jesus' time hadn't had that kind of experience either. 
Jesus warns the three of them not to tell anyone what they saw. But would anyone have believed them if they had? It sounds incredible, doesn't it? But it's a bit like looking at something through a microscope. Just because you can't normally see something doesn't mean it isn't there. Perhaps under certain circumstances, it's possible to see things differently, in a way that goes beyond our normal experience and understanding. What matters more than the manner of the revelation is what exactly was revealed to Peter, James and John. Jesus is transfigured, dazzling in his brightness. The disciples have heard Jesus speak about the kingdom of God, but now they see him bathed in the light of God's kingdom, reflecting that light into the world. Now they can see that Jesus is not like other teachers. He speaks of what he knows. And then Moses and Elijah appear and talk with Jesus. Moses, who led God's people out of slavery in Egypt. But more importantly, Moses, the lawbringer. Moses, who encountered God on top of a mountain and returned with the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. Moses, with whom the first five books of the Bible, known to the Jews as the Torah, or the law, are associated. And Elijah, the great prophet, who also encountered God on top of a mountain, and who warned God's people not to turn away from the Lord their God, and to look out for the signs of his presence in the future. Between them, Moses and Elijah represent the whole of the Old Testament. Moses, the law, and Elijah, the prophets. They represent the story so far. And here they are talking to Jesus. This was a sign to the three disciples that Jesus was also part of God's plan. That Jesus was here to complete the work of Moses and Elijah. To fulfill the law and the prophecies. But then a cloud comes and covers them, and God speaks. The same God who spoke the world into existence, who said, let there be light, and there was. The same God who spoke to Moses on a mountain, who spoke to Elijah on a mountain, speaks again on a mountain. Noticing any patterns here? And God speaks here to single out Jesus. God is telling Peter, James and John, you've heard the law of Moses, you've heard the prophecies of Elijah, but God says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. And suddenly, the disciples look around and Moses and Elijah are not there. Only Jesus remains. The past is gone. Those who brought the law and the prophecies are gone. But God's plan continues in Jesus. And God's plan has been revealed to Peter, James and John. Not that this was quite the light bulb moment for them that I described earlier. Peter, on seeing Moses and Elijah, was perhaps understandably confused. He offered to put up a shelter for each of them. It sounds a bit like he's expecting them to stay as if they'd just returned from a long absence. Oh, hello, Moses and Elijah. We haven't heard from you in a while. What have you been up to? In fairness to Peter, it's possible he was beginning to wonder just why he was there exactly. Here's Jesus, 
who Peter has recently recognised as being the Messiah, meeting with Moses, the great lawbringer, and Elijah, the great prophet. And then there's Peter and his two mates, three random fishermen from Galilee. He perhaps feels that if he's going to be in such exalted company, he probably ought to be making himself useful, serving them in some way. Although, in fact, it seems that Moses and Elijah were there for Peter's benefits more than the other way round. And while Peter and the others were still trying to get their heads around all that they'd just seen and heard, on the way back down the mountain, Jesus gives them the cryptic instruction not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now this part makes perfect sense to us. But established thinking at the time was that all the righteous would be raised from the dead at the end of time. That would be a long time to wait to tell their story, even if they were still around to tell it. The disciples must have thought that was a very strange thing to say. But presumably, they nevertheless did as God had told them. They listened to Jesus. And when Jesus had risen from the dead, they remembered his words and told this story. And that's why we have it set down. Because that was God's message to them. And it's God's message to us. Listen to him. But I wonder if we don't all feel a bit like Peter sometimes. We've been dragged up here on the mountain and we've had this amazing revelation of God. And we're a bit scared. And we're thinking, what am I doing here? God, as it turned out, had great plans for Peter, James and John. They couldn't have known it then, but after the resurrection, they went on to become three of the founders of the church and three of the greatest evangelists, these three humble fishermen. Not everyone, not even all the apostles saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. Only those who were ready to see the truth, those who were ready to hear God's voice. Because as Paul points out in our other reading, there are many things in the wor- this world that draw people's attention away from God and prevent them from seeing the truth. We are called to be like Peter, James and John, to listen and to proclaim the truth that is revealed to us. But it can be hard when others' eyes are closed to the truth. We can get scared and ask ourselves, what am I doing here? God doesn't need me. No. God doesn't need us. We need God. That's the point. Did you notice Paul's own story in the background to his letter to Corinthians when he talked about the minds of unbelievers having been blinded so that they cannot see God's light? This is the same Paul who hated and persecuted Christians until he encountered a blinding light from heaven on the road to Damascus and had his sight restored by the faithful prayers of Ananias. Paul knew better than anyone that God had the power to shine light into the darkest of places. And he had seen how, through faithful obedience to God, disciples like Ananias had become part of God's victory, part of God's kingdom on earth. The darkness in the world can be overwhelming at times, but we are called simply to listen and be obedient to God. Because the struggle against darkness is not difficult for God. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Amen.